Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome, everyone. I have a wonderful show lined up for you guys this evening. One filled with an array of different paranormal themes that are sure to get your blood pumping. Now, a couple of things to get out of the way before we get started. Uh, next week is Thanksgiving, and both my mother and Sarah's mother are coming into town, so there will be no new show next week. Um, we'll be back the following week with a brand new episode and I think from now on out, I'm going to have something recorded in place for these holiday episodes. So uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, for Christmas and New Year's, though I actually won't be skipping much of anything outside of my regular uh, break between seasons. And speaking of seasons, Season 6 is abruptly coming to an end. And you know what that means. I need your hometown legend submissions. Uh, I've gone through the, the backlog here, and I only have a couple. I thought I had a lot more, but I only have a couple to play for... Uh, the season finale, which is coming up in mid-December. So if your hometown has a crybaby bridge or phantom hitchhiker, or maybe a mass murderer, something strange and noteworthy, that's what we're looking for. Give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now without further hesitation, let's launch into tonight's episode. Our first call of the night comes to us from the Great White North. The following is Anthony's call from the wonderful country of Canada. Hey Derek, my name is Anthony. Um, huge fan, long-time listener. Um, I thought it was time that I made my contribution to your show. So this is my story. Back in my junior year in high school... I had quite an interesting experience. I'm from a small town called Rockland in Ontario, Canada. Um, one February evening, me and my friends were having a sleepover at one of Buddy's houses. Um, Rockland's a pretty small town. You can walk across it in about 30 minutes. Um, unfortunately, back then, we had a bad habit of smoking cigarettes. It's something I gave up, but back then I thought I was pretty cool, I guess. You know how teenagers can be. Um... So we had to keep this secret from his parents. So we waited, I think, about until 11 to go out and have our cigarettes. But we wouldn't just go outside of his porch or something. We decided to venture out into a junkyard across town to this old car that one of my buddies knew about that he could get into. The doors were unlocked. So we made our way across town. It takes about 30 minutes. And when we got there, we smoked our cigarettes. We listened to some music on one of my buddy's old phones hung out, did what stupid kids do. On our way back, 
The streets were completely quiet. A fresh snowfall had just laid down. We had orange lights beaming on the suburban streets. And not a sound. Barely a wind was even going by. Me and my four friends were walking up a hill past the local park that we all knew, heading back towards my one buddy's house to continue our sleepover and our shenanigans. When through the wind, all of us could hear little girls laughing. It was crazy. It was like, it was all around us. It was like there was little girls just playing and it was coming from all directions as if on the wind. And I'm telling you, at this time of night, in a snowstorm, and a couple feet of snow, cars aren't even on the road. Nobody's out at this time. At this time, walking back, it must have been 2, maybe 3 a.m. on a Saturday night. There's nothing going on in this small town. We all kind of just looked at each other like, do you hear that? Do you hear that? <laughs> and then my buddies were like, yeah, man, I hear that. Like, it's it's, it's little girls. Like, it's like, it's... It's like a schoolyard or something. It, it, it didn't make any sense to us. And as we kept walking past the park, we were looking everywhere. And it, 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 it like I said, it kind of danced on the wind. By the time we got to the top of the hill, it was gone. We got back to my friend's place shortly after that. And we kind of talked about it. And, you know, we kind of laughed and said, like, man, did somebody put something in those cigarettes? And at this time, like I said, junior year of high school, we weren't experimenting with any drugs harder than tobacco, so we didn't know what it we just experienced. I mean, that's really the only true paranormal experience that I've had. It was weird, and I thought I'd share it with you guys. Thank you, Anthony, for that call. And I'll be honest, there's not a whole lot I can say about this one. It was pretty clear-cut. The one thing I will say, however, is that... Uh, I know snow is a great noise dampener, so it's possible that the voices of children carried long distances due to the current weather conditions at the time. But, given the late hour, I have serious doubts about this explanation. I find it hard to believe that a group of kids would be out at 2 or 3 in the morning in a snowstorm. The last thing I want to point out is something I point out in most ghost cases. What's the history of the area? Was there some sort of orphanage that burned down, or... Maybe a bus full of kids or something that was tragically killed. Is there any sort of historical uh, documentation that would help support this claim? I think it's important to always dive deep and see if there's any correlation to the quote-unquote real world that could correlate with some of these paranormal experiences. Thank you again, Anthony, for taking the time to share. For the next call of the evening, I'm going to ask that you tilt your head toward the sky. The following is Margaret's story out of New Hampshire. Hi, my name is Margaret from New Hampshire, and I've been listening to your podcast for about a week now, and I have two stories to share with you. I have other ones, but these are my two UFO-related stories, and since I have two of them and they're fairly short, I thought I'd include them in the same message. Um, my first one was quite a number of years ago. I was probably like 10 or 11, and... I was driving from my small town to um, a larger town and like to go to some stores with my father. And we were driving up a hill and through the trees we saw this huge 
white ball of light and the only way I can describe the size was it looked like the moon was falling from the sky like this thing was enormous and it just descended right into the Connecticut River and disappeared in the water and I didn't see anything else after that and then my second story was also in a car but it was this year I was um, driving to work it was about five in the morning um, I was leaving my boyfriend's house driving through Enfield and I see in the sky a cluster of lights but almost like an angler fish has a light on the end of a a little a little light on the end of I don't even know what to call it but it was like a Pac-Man mouth opening and closing with lights on the very tip of what would be the mouth but it was some flying craft and I went past the house and as soon as I passed the house and this object was behind the house it was gone by the time I got past and I have no idea but other than a UFO <laughs> Uh, well, that's it. I have other stories that I'll most likely be calling back for, but I hope this is usable. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you, Margaret, for taking the time to share. Well, although she doesn't mention inclement weather, I'm wondering if this may be the strange phenomenon known as ball lightning. Ball lightning is a rare phenomenon that results in a ball of glowing energy that has the ability to float and even travel at multiple speeds. Now, the description of this sounds about right, but I'm wondering, was the weather that night willing to play along? Thanks again, Margaret, for sharing that spooky little tale. Our next tale of the evening comes to us from a great friend of the show. The following story is from Brett in Indiana. Hi, Derek. It's Brett, the art person. I thought I'd send a couple stories to you, and eventually I'd love to share some of my more bizarre experiences. But for now, here are a couple short and spooky tales. The first story is something that happened to my mom when she was about 14. She lived with her family in an old farmhouse in rural Illinois. She, for some reason, had beat her brothers home from school that day, and neither of her parents were home yet, so she was totally alone in the house. She went up to her room to change out of her school clothes and put on something more comfortable. Carelessly dumping her school clothes onto the floor by her bed, she then went downstairs to get a snack. She said that she remembered she'd forgotten something in her room, so she went up to get it only to discover that her clothes were now perfectly spread out on top of her bed, like somebody might do when they were preparing an outfit. Even her socks were placed by each pant leg. She was still alone in the house, so she freaked out and went outside, just sitting on the front porch until someone came home. My second story is a strange one that still leaves me baffled, and I've dubbed it the barbecue sauce time slip. This happened last year. I was eating chicken nuggets in the kitchen, standing by the counter, holding my plate. I went in for a big dip of sauce, and to my dismay as I raised the barbecue-coated nugget to my mouth, a very large glob of it slipped clean off. I calmly placed the plate onto the counter and looked at the floor, expecting to see a huge sauce splatter. But there was nothing. Confused, I checked the sides of my plate, my clothes and arms, the cabinet doors under the counter cabinets. Again, nothing. I looked up, thinking maybe it had flung up to the ceiling, but the ceiling was perfectly pristine, not a sauce blob anywhere in sight. I then thought that perhaps it was simply in my hair, so I left the kitchen and ran to the bathroom, looking in the mirror and combing through my hair, but there was no sign of the barbecue sauce. 
So defeated and confused, I trudged back to the kitchen, picked up my plate, and as I held it there, extending my hand for a nugget, I felt a hard, cold splat. I looked at my wrist. It was the barbecue sauce. Where had it been? I had literally checked every possible place it could have landed. Anyway, that's my story. Thanks for your time, Brett. Well, thank you, Brett, and please, please, please send us the bizarre stories. Nothing is too bizarre for this show. Now, as far as the clothes are concerned, I've heard stories about clothes laid out as if someone was laying there, almost like a flat person. I swear one of these calls was even shared on this show, but I was not able to find it. Now, thus far, I haven't received a single submission about disappearing barbecue sauce, but I'm only three years in, and there's still time. Now, everyone, I highly encourage you to go out and check out Brett's... Now, this is Brett Manning, for those that don't know. Go out and check out Brett's wonderful, wonderful artwork. There is a link in the show notes, or you can simply go to Brett is a Girl on Etsy.com. She has so many amazing art pieces. Everything from candles and prints to t-shirts and uh, dioramas. You name it, she makes it. And it's all exquisite. In fact, I have several pieces here in the studio. So please, do me a favor... Do Brett a favor and do yourself a favor and go check her out today. Thanks again, Brett, for the stories. Next up is a huge contributor to the Facebook group. The following is Sarah's story from New York. Hi, Derek. This is Sarah from upstate New York. I've called in before um, with my spider, the human head story. Um, I recently was in the Adirondacks at our lake house um, at Brant Lake, New York, um, and it was August, and I think I posted a picture of the mountain where I saw these strange things. Um, But anyways, I typically go out um, at night and watch the stars and look at the lake, but um, now that I'm on to looking for Bigfoot... um, I went out to a different side of the uh, where I we stay, off onto the swamp side, and I decided to listen and look. And um, I sure as heck started hearing the strange... I, I would think it was a mountain lion, but we don't have mountain lions in the Adirondacks, at least not many. Um, it sounded like a cross between the Ohio sounds and Texas Bigfoot sounds that makes any sense but it was like a um, kind of a shrieking sound so I to make sure that I was hearing it I um, had my best friend that was staying there too come down to the lake and my daughter who's 12 come down to the lake and hear the sounds and sure enough they we could not place what these noises were and it, and it continued on for about 30 to 45 minutes I wanted to add that my uh, best friend and my daughter are complete skeptics did not believe but now are seriously pondering. So that was the first night. The second night, um, we were down by the water. Well, I was. I had to come, I had to go back up and get my best friend and my daughter again, just so I had a witness. Um, but we started to hear those sounds again. And then to our right, which is where the mountain was um, that I posted on Facebook to our site, um, there was this red orb-looking light and another white one that kept squiggling in the air above the mountain, above this red one that was also moving a little bit, but it was the white one, and it kept coming back to the red one. Um, 
very hard to explain, but it looked like a scribble in the sky. And it was definitely not a satellite, definitely not a drone, not the typical drone color. It was red and then the other one was white. So we watched that for a while and then went up to bed. Um, the next night we went back down there and strangely enough, no noises, no sounds, but on different mountains facing the swamp, I saw, we saw um, a red orb, much brighter this time, just one. And it kept dipping down in the mountains and then coming up and swirling around and then dipping back on in the mountains. And might I also add that there's no houses, no cabins up there. There's no people up there. Very unpopulated. It's restricted areas all posted. All four nights were clear. It was this August 2018. And um, but all four nights were clear. There was nothing, stars and not a cloud in the sky. We were not sure what we saw. Um, not sure if it's related to Bigfoot or the noises that we heard. Um, regardless, very strange, and I thought I'd share this story. And um, I'll try to also find the sound that we heard and try to post it on our Facebook page. And um, also um, any, anything else, if anyone else that lives or has a place in the Brent Lake area or Lake George area for that matter and has heard or seen anything such, I would love to hear that on the show. Thanks, Derek. Love the show. Love the, the, love the Facebook page. Addie, shout out. Love you. Thanks. Thank you, Sarah. Now, I commend you on having the wherewithal to bring in additional witnesses. Now, my only other suggestion would be to open up that cell phone camera. Now, the sounds are strange, but the time of year doesn't exactly correlate with any mammal breeding periods. So I suppose it could have been some sort of turf war between two male foxes or perhaps bobcats. The sounds of both of those animals can be downright terrifying. Either way... There's definitely a lot of Bigfoot activity in New York, especially upstate New York. And if that's something that interests you, I highly recommend you check out Small Town Monsters Beast of Whitehall documentary. It's a documentary that basically uh, outlines the sightings on Bear Road in Whitehall, New York in the 1970s. And if you haven't seen it, I highly suggest you check it out. And I believe it's still streaming on Amazon Prime. If not, go over to smalltownmonsters.com. You can pick up a copy there. It's definitely worth a watch. Thanks again, Sarah, and thank you for all the correspondence on Facebook. Now, before we move on to our last couple calls of the evening, I have a couple announcements that I need to get through. The holidays are fast approaching, and if you're looking for a gift for that Monsters Among Us fan in your life, look no further than the Monsters Among Us shop, found at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. Now, I know I've been talking about the hats, and I have a design, and I have everything laid out. It's just a matter of getting them ordered and getting them in and in the shop. So I'm hoping to have those ready to purchase by the beginning of December. Keep checking back on those. Follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And make sure you join the Facebook group while you're at it. That's where most of the actual action takes place. Be sure to submit your story. To submit your story, simply call the hotline at one 888 or you can uh, hit the Report Your Sightings tab on the website. And lastly, I have a couple donators that I need to thank. Anthony P. and Jamie M. I want to thank you both for your generous donations. Now, speaking of donations, this announcement's more for me than anyone else, but I am terribly excited about this. Sarah just gave me the go-ahead to expand the studio. 
Now right now, I'm recording in a 6 foot by 6 foot square. Reality, it's probably closer to 5 foot by 5 foot. Either way, I'm quickly outgrowing this space. I have more equipment than what fits in here. Um, It gets incredibly cold and incredibly hot, depending on the time of year. Uh, It's just not a desirable place to record a podcast. So, what we figured out is there is a 17 by 8 foot section of our basement that is separate from the rest of the original building. It was a uh, addition, I believe, was built in the 80s. Either way, she's given me permission... I guess, to go ahead and refinish that room and turn it into not only a podcast, but a study as well, so that I have a desirable place to read my books, to do research, and all this other stuff. Here's the one catch. I'm not allowed to spend any of my hard-earned money on this project. That's the one rule that I was given from Sarah. So, what I've decided to do is uh, any donation that comes in from this point forward will go 100% toward that room. My estimate, it's going to take a couple grand. Uh, I need some drywall, I need some flooring, uh, you know, some uh, sound dampening material for the wall, that kind of thing. I'm pretty handy and I'm pretty uh, resourceful, so I think I can do this on the cheap. But uh, anyone that's uh, loving the show and looking to make like a 2 or $3 donation, by all means, please do so. Like I said, all the funds received will go directly toward this new studio space that I am excited about. I will post tons of pictures, videos, uh, once we get started. You guys can see the before and after progress of everything. And, uh, you know, know, it's certainly going to help me with research, uh, because now I have a place to escape. So anyway, uh, that's next on my list, and I'm pretty excited about it, so I wanted to share with you guys. But anyway, back to the show. Next up, I believe we have a first for Monsters Among Us. The following call is Allie's, from the state of New York. And, I believe... This is an alien abduction story. Hi, Derek. It's Allie calling from upstate New York again. I've been calling a lot lately. Um, But I just recently went to Texas for my cousin's wedding, and uh, all his brothers and sisters uh, flew out there for this as well. We were all staying in the same hotel, drinking, having a good time. And it was the end of the night. We were all sobering up. Blah, blah, blah. Our parents were still getting wild, and we were like, whatever, like, let's go hang out. And me and my cousin Katie went back to her room, and we were chatting about life, like what we're doing, like boyfriend, school, all that good stuff. And she was like, oh, like, where are you living? And I told her, like, my lease was just up, so I'm back at my parents' house until I find another apartment. And she was like, oh, you moved back to that really scary place. And I was like, yeah, because my parents' house, my childhood home, has been... Uh, kind of a hotbed for kind of ghosty activities and she was telling me about the experiences that she was having there uh, when she was a child and I was like oh my god like yeah because she's never told me this before either because I thought that maybe she thought I was crazy when I talk about stuff like this and she was telling me all these experiences and stuff like that and we were vibing about that and I was like well we've never talked about this experience that I'm going to tell you right now and I was like well do you remember that time we were at your house and now she lived about 20 minutes away from me in the super super small town and we were really close when we were little and my grandma was watching her and all her brothers and sisters while their parents went on vacation so and we're really close to my grandma too so when I was little we were maybe maybe four five six I went over to stay at Katie's house while my grandma was there so we could have like a big fun sleepover with the family 
And Katie and I slept in what they called the blue room, which was like the room with the computer and my carpet was blue and the walls were blue, so they called it the blue room. Katie and I were sleeping in the blue room. We were the only ones in there. And Katie brought up the story the other night to me and told it in such a vivid detail. And we've never discussed it because I thought maybe that I dreamt it or I made it up because I was really young. But the way she said it, I was just flabbergasted that she knew every detail. But we were sleeping in the blue room, maybe, I don't know, it was been maybe like 11 o'clock midnight, late for a five-year-old. And in the middle of the night, I wake up and I'm in the living room, which is across the house. They have a pretty large house. And I'm soaking wet, soaking wet, head to toe. My hair is wet, my clothes are wet. And my clothes, like my pajamas, are inside out and backwards. And I'm in a completely different room. Katie tells me that the same same exact thing happened to her in that same night, the same way she was soaking wet clothes were inside out and backwards the whole thing but I don't remember Katie being in the living room she could have been and I was so scared that I just didn't realize it or maybe she woke up before me and went back to the living room but I never told her about this because I thought maybe I'm young maybe I wet my bed or something or I made it up I dreamt it but it was the fact that she could recall this and it was the same night everything was the same and it was the same story and we've never talked about it so it just kind of validated that experience when I was really little that this strange thing happened to me. Um, I've always kind of been skeptical that maybe it was a maybe a UFO experience. That sounds kind of crazy to me because, but there was lost time, and I know that's like a big thing about that. And it happened to both of us, and it didn't feel like ghostly or anything like that because I've had a lot of ghost experiences, but. I'd love to get your opinion and see what you have to say about it. And uh, thanks so much for the podcast. See you guys. Thank you, Allie. Now, inside-out clothing is often a sign of alien abduction, if you buy into that phenomenon. Now, I've heard it suggested that if you suspect that you've been an abductee, or better yet, you think you're going to be an abductee, it's suggested that you put your pajamas on inside-out. The theory here is that aliens will force you to put your clothing back on, but in your days, you forget that you were wearing them inside out. So, you put them on right side out. When you wake up the next morning and realize that your pajamas are now right side out, you know something's afoot. Now, this encounter reminded me, strangely enough, of something that happened back in the 1970s. Of course, I'm talking about the Pascagoula abduction. On the evening of October 11th, 1973, Co-workers, 42-year-old Charles Hickson and 19-year-old Calvin Parker, told the Jackson County, Mississippi Sheriff's Office that they were fishing off a pier on the west bank of the Pascagoula River in Mississippi when they heard a whirring or whizzing sound. Then they saw two flashing blue lights and an oval-shaped object 30 to 40 feet across and 8 to 10 feet high. Parker and Hickson claimed that they were conscious but paralyzed, while three creatures took them aboard the object and subjected them to an examination before releasing them. For more on that, and to hear the experience in Calvin Parker's own words, here's a clip from UFO Seekers on YouTube. A key witness in one of the most high-profile UFO cases in the United States history is still coming to terms with experience almost 40 years on. Calvin Parker Jr. and his friend Charles Hickson were supposedly examined on board an alien spaceship in 1973 
And to this day, he still stands by his story. We were sitting there fishing and uh, I heard a noise and turned around and looked and seen some blue lights, some hazy blue lights. And that's when, you know, the craft landed behind us. We still wasn't for sure what it was, but it landed and we turned around and the front of it opened up. And when it did, it was just like we were paralyzed there for, he couldn't move and I couldn't move, but there's three uh, robot looking creatures that floated out. They didn't walk, they just kind of glided out of the craft and come over and two got a hold of uh, me and one got a hold of Charlie and they took us inside. They did an examination. So when they examined us, we was probably in there, I'm gonna say 45 minutes, I'm not real sure. I didn't have a watch or nothing at the time. They put us back out at the same place we were, facing the water, and I was froze, you know, in one spot. And originally, I didn't want to talk about it no more, so Charlie just said, you know, play like you passed out in there and you won't have to say nothing too much. So that's what I did. I kind of went along with that. Charlie said it was probably 40 foot. I remember more like a 90 foot long, kind of an oblong shape. And it had a bluish tint to it and two blue lights on the front of it. When it took off, it didn't make hardly any noise at all. You just heard like a zipping noise. It was zip. And that was it, and it was gone. While many were skeptical of Parker and Hickson's experience, Jackson County sheriffs, who originally thought the two were drunk, were surprised to see how the friends were acting when left alone. Took them down there and put them in a room with a, with a voice-activated mic, and it's in, hidden in the desk to see what they'd say. Well, we, me and the other investigator got up and left to let them talk to see if they were going to say, well, we got them fooled and all. They didn't. They, they were really concerned. The boys kept telling Charles to don't talk to them and people's going to come back and get us. Although little is known for sure about Pargan Hickson's experience, the 1973 incident made national headlines, sparked a wave of UFO sightings across the country, and is often cited by UFO enthusiasts as one of the most significant cases on record. As usual, a link to the full video is found in the show notes for tonight's episode. And thanks again, Allie, for your submission. In my personal opinion, this falls more in line with UFO abduction than it does with any other paranormal activity. Up next is a strange little experience by Jessica in Michigan. Hi, Derek. This is Jessica. Um... I had something odd happen to me this morning at work, and I thought I would just share it with you. I work as a security guard in Michigan at a insurance company. One of the requirements of my job is to drive a vehicle around the parking lot and just make sure, you know, everybody's property is safe and also just watch to make sure the employees are safe. I get to work pretty early in the morning on the weekdays, usually around uh, 5.50, 6 o'clock a.m., And this morning, there were some employees that were already there about the time I got to the building and to start my shift for the day. And I parked next to an employee's vehicle, and I decided that I was going to go in um, and get a pop from the vending machine um, since I needed caffeine. I was really tired this morning. And when I got out of the security vehicle, I stepped out, and I went to put my debit card into 
my pocket to take it inside the building with me. And when I went to put it in my pocket, it's almost as if it just completely disappeared out of my hand. I didn't hear it hit the ground. Um, there is gravel in the parking lot. And usually if you drop something, you can hear it when it hits the ground. Uh, I didn't hear it hit the ground at all. You know, immediately I looked down by my feet to see if it was there and it wasn't. And then I also looked into the driver's door just in case it had fallen into one of those cubbies um, where you can put drinks or maps or snacks or things like that. And it wasn't in there either. And I thought that was pretty strange because that was the only other place I could think of um, other than the employee vehicle next to me. And I looked underneath the employee's vehicle next to me and it wasn't there either. And by that time, I felt really creeped out. And I was like, well, it just doesn't disappear out of thin air. How could have it done that? Um, I checked my pocket just to make sure it actually hadn't fallen in there, but it didn't. Um, I made sure that it hadn't, you know, stuck to my cell phone. Like sometimes the corners gets like up the debit cards would get stuck to my cell phone, like the screen and or get stuck in the case and it would, you know, lay flat against the case. Um, nope, that's not the case either. So I was so confused. Something prompted me to actually look underneath the security vehicle. And when I did, I was kind of flabbergasted. There was my debit card. My debit card was sitting right there underneath the vehicle, right in the middle um, of the pavement. And I don't know how it would have gone from the left side of my body facing away from the vehicle all the way to underneath the car. Uh, I, I'm still confused by it. I have no idea how it happened. Um, I almost wonder if, you know, I had a little bit of touch with a different reality or something like that. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, there, it's been very muggy and warm here. So it's not like the breeze you know, a breeze just came up and, and pushed it underneath the car. And there's no, there was no obviously like grading or sewer drainage systems at all in the parking lot, um, at least near where I was parked. It was up pretty close to the building. Um, I just have no explanations as to how this happened. Um, anyways, I just wanted to share this with you. Um, I apologize again. It's still creeping me out a little bit, but I hope you can maybe use this story in a future episode. Um, keep up the good work. I enjoy the show immensely. I just never thought I would have to actually call in and share a story. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jessica. I'm a bit confused about this one, and it's somewhat similar to the story we heard from Brett earlier in the episode. Now, how far away from the vehicle were you when the actual ID fell? Uh, the way I'm picturing it in my head, you were either standing next to it or possibly getting out of the vehicle. And if it were to fall and perhaps hit your shoe on the way down, I could see how it could change the trajectory, sliding it under the vehicle. But if the vehicle was further away, uh, that's you know that's a whole other story. Uh, I've listened to it a couple times. Perhaps I'm missing something. But if I'm not, my suggestion is that it probably hit something. Even as it hit the ground, it may have landed in just such a way that it allowed it to spring forward or uh, sideways, pushing it under the vehicle. Either way, thank you so much for taking the time to share the call. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. The following story 
is Garrett's out of the state of California. Hey, Derek. My name is Garrett, a longtime listener. Uh, I've got a few stories I'm going to be give, sending to you uh, as I get the time to record them. Uh, this one in particular takes place... Uh, I was born in a small town in Northern California, almost on the Oregon border, uh, but I grew up in Idaho, so I've got a few stories from, you know, both states, different locations. Um, this one in particular takes place in uh, Northern California, a very small town, about 2,000 people where I was born, and I had a lot of family friends, and my grandparents still lived there, so I was there visiting them. Uh, probably around 2006 or so, I was around 9, 10, um, and I was visiting them, uh, we'd all gone to bed, and their house was a ranch-style home, so they, it was, it's basically like one big hallway, and the room I was staying in was next to the kitchen, they were all the way across the other side of the house, um, and I went to bed, and I got thirsty, so I decided instead of just getting a glass of water from the kitchen, I'd go out. I'd left uh, my water bottle in my grandfather's wood shop, which was out back of the house. And I don't know why, I just I wanted the water bottle for some reason. So I decided to go out and get it. Uh, so the, ki- the back door was right next to the kitchen, so I walked through the kitchen, went to the back door, uh, grabbed a flashlight off the shelf where my grandfather kept all his flashlights and this was, you know, 2006 or so so it was one of those really heavy you know, D-cell cop mag, mag lights um, so I opened the door I went out onto the back step and I shined it around, shined the flashlight around and their house backed up to this large grass lot and then behind that lot uh, the lot was about uh, I'd say a mile across and then behind that lot was a forest uh, kind of a forested area full of hills uh, and so it was not uncommon to have animals and you know this was a very small town in the middle of nowhere so it was definitely not uncommon at all to have animals like deer foxes, raccoons you know even occasionally cougars but those were pretty rare um, and especially coyotes coyotes were very common you can hear them uh, howling to each other at night. Uh, so anyway, I stepped out onto the back step, and I shined my light around, and I didn't see anything. And from the house to the shed was about 20 feet, and around the house and the workshop was a interior fence. Uh, and then about 10 feet past that was an exterior sort of perimeter fence. Uh, protecting some uh, just sheds and chicken coops and farm like a garden that my grandmother had and so I shined my light around I didn't see anything Uh, I took a step down off the back step which was about two steps stepped off the step got to the bottom of the steps and I shined my light out and there's eyes glowing back at me and I thought that's weird I didn't see anything the first time. Why am I seeing something now? And they were about 20 yards from the exterior perimeter fence. So about 30 yards from me. So I'm shining my light at these eyes, and they're not moving. 
They're about 30 yards away from the back perimeter fence, like I said, and they're about the right size to be a deer. Uh, so I just assumed it was a deer. You know, those were super common to see at night. They were almost always in that backfield. The only thing that was weird about it, which was is only weird thinking back about it now, is there was only one of them. Whereas usually there's, you know, a herd of deer. So I just assumed it was a deer. Uh, I walked to the shed, opened the door, went in, got my water bottle, came out, walked back to the step, turned around, and then shined my light back out. So I turned my light around, and the eyes immediately glow back at me, and they are huge. They're probably about the size of... I mean, to a kid, they looked like they were the size of car headlights. They were probably about the size of, you know, like an 8-ounce cup. Thinking back on it. Uh, and they're staring at me, and I can see right below them is a very large mouth, and it's shaped kind of to the head. There's no snout, really, that I could say, that I could see. Um, sorry, I'm getting chills just thinking back to this. Uh, so anyway, there's no snout that I can really see, but I see the eyes, and I see it. It's definitely snarling. It's not smiling or anything. It's snarling. I can't hear it, or hear anything, but it was definitely had its lips drawn back like it was angry. And its head was kind of nondescript. It was kind of, you know, the classic, like, I want to say Bigfoot head. But anyway, uh, so I could see the teeth and the head, and it looked very human, but at the same time, very animal, animalistic. Um, I honestly couldn't tell if it was uh, standing on all fours or if it was bipedal. Um, it was kind of hunched over like it was crawling, but I don't think it could have been crawling if it was, you know, like I said, 10 foot tall. So I'm not totally sure. Um, I didn't get a good look at the legs. So I obviously immediately turned around, slammed the door, uh, turned off all the lights, and just sat there and watched out the kitchen window for a while. And nothing, you know, came up to the porch, nothing came closer. I couldn't really see out past 10 feet past the back step because it was completely dark. It was pretty... I think it was not quite a new moon, but pretty close. And so, uh, I went back to my room and went back to sleep after about three hours of freaking out and hearing stuff moving around outside, which very well could have been, you know, a deer, a raccoon, or whatever, but, uh, because that was pretty common, you would hear deer outside, you know, eating my grandmother's garden or whatever. But at the time, I'm not totally sure what was making the noise. It could have been that thing, or it could have been something else. Um, but anyway, so the next morning, I got up and told my grandparents about it, and they seemed really hesitant to call it out of the ordinary. And they they kind of seemed like they wanted to just pass it off as, you know, oh, you saw a bear, that's really cool, you saw a bear. And I kind of I tried to tell him, you know, that wasn't a bear, that was really 
it was too big and it w- it didn't really look like a bear. And you know, at the time I'd never seen anything other than, you know, like bear pictures of bears in textbooks or whatever. But now that I'm older and I'm a pretty avid outdoorsman and uh I've seen grizzly bears and I've experienced being very close to grizzly bears actually and uh it did not look like a grizzly bear. Uh grizzly bears are massive when they stand up on their hind legs, but even they weren't as big as whatever this was. Um and grizzly bears another thing to touch on about whatever I saw is it had very fine fur. Uh, it looked very, very similar to deer fur. It was not, you know, it wasn't like grizzly bear fur where it was matted and uh, dirty. And this fur was very fine. It was very straight hair. It looked very similar, like I said, to a deer. Uh, same, you know, similar coloring and everything. Uh, but anyway my grandparents just kind of seemed to want to pass off as a bear and I I don't blame them if a kid came to me telling me he saw Bigfoot I wouldn't really I probably wouldn't really listen to him either I'd say you saw a bear especially in Northern California but the area I was in in Northern California isn't known for grizzly bears there's not really any there there's never been one spotted in the county of the town that I was in and as far as I know to this day, there still hasn't been one spotted. Um, but it very well could have been. I don't know. I don't know what I saw that night, honestly. But it was pretty terrifying to 10-year-old me and even older me thinking about thinking back to it. It was pretty terrifying. But uh, So that's my story. Uh, sorry, I know it's a little long, but I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you can use it. Uh, feel free to cut out whatever parts you don't think are necessary. Uh, Thanks for keeping the podcast going. Love listening to it every night. Thanks. Thank you, Garrett, for taking the time to share that call. And I know you're up there near the the northern fires, and I'm hoping that you guys are safe up there. Uh, I know we've had our issues with fires here. In fact, we had one break out about a mile away from the cabin, I believe on Sunday night. Uh, That was downright terrifying. But thanks to our wonderful firefighters, they were able to put that one out. Uh, But my heart goes out to those affected by... Uh, Both the large fires here in California this past week. Now, as for the story, uh, with Garrett seeing a mouth, that pretty much eliminates my theory of an owl or another small creature sitting on a branch in a tree. And oftentimes you'll see eyes shine about eight to nine feet up, and that's what it will be, an owl or a raccoon or possum or something sitting on a limb and the eyes shine reflects back, making it look like they're much, much, much taller than they really are. Now, there are certainly enough reports from that area of the country to offer some validation for the claims that Garrett make. After all, Northern California is the birthplace of the Bigfoot legend. But Willow Creek wasn't always known for being a Sasquatch sighting spot. Once it was just a mining and logging town. And though rumors of Bigfoot have been floating around California since the early 1900s, it wasn't until 1958 that a construction crew here came across a startling discovery. off these trails that we see many footprints. Ed Schillinger was a civil engineer who worked with three others during a road building stint near Willow Creek. At first, the crew members assumed the prints were a practical joke. 
looking at each other and said, did you do this? Or I saw you sleep away from your tent one night. You must have done this. But the footprints kept appearing. It was almost on a daily basis. When we found these prints, we attributed them to this creature. After a newspaper published the crewmen's story, the nickname they had given the creature, Bigfoot, became ingrained in people's minds. The whole American phenomena of Bigfoot really starts in October of 1958, when the world really began to know this word through the media. Since 1958, people have used the word Bigfoot to describe any large, hairy, bipedal, human-like creature. A national obsession was born. It was easy to see why. The size of the... Now that clip comes courtesy of Weird Travels on the Travel Channel and features cryptozoology legend Lauren Coleman. There's certainly a lot of Sasquatch Bigfoot activity in that part of the country, so it wouldn't surprise me one bit if that's actually what Garrett witnessed that evening. Now, of course, we all know that there's no irrefutable proof that this creature exists, but if it does, it's my opinion that that is where we're going to find it. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Pon Abbott, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And music from this episode was provided by MyU and Coag Music. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And until next time. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To start the ignition. To feel confident. To be connected to everything. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle. But it becomes a dynamic experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.